Let's, uh, let's begin. A few minutes late, I apologize. Um, so we left off, we left off yesterday with, on today's daf is Yud Zayin, 17. We left off Tes Zayin Amud Beis. Im Yesh, um, excuse me, Ha'aviru Lefana Kos Shalbasaurus. Remember again, the Mishnah explained, the Mishnah was discussing the different things that could attest to the fact that she was a basula. The, one of the things that the Mishnah mentioned was they passed before her a Kos Shalbasaurus, a cup, ultimately again, of announcement that she was a basula. My koshal basura. So what does it mean a koshal basura? A cup of announcement. So the Gemara They would go ahead and they would pass a cup of truma wine before her. And they would say, That this one, because she was a basula, technically speaking, could have married a Kohen and therefore was fit to go ahead and eat truma. So the Gemara says, But one second, you're trying to say that an Amara, a widow, who marries a Kohen, is not permitted to eat truma. We know that's not the case. Zu reishis kitruma reishis. The rest, rather, they pass before her a cup of truma wine to say, just as truma is the first, i.e., it's the first portion that's taken, that's tithe, so to again, this act of relations that she is going to have with her husband is also the first act of relations. Tanya, Rabbi Yudon Rabbi says, They used to, at a wedding, they used to pass a barrel of wine before the kala. For a besula, for a woman who's getting married for the first time, they would pass a sealed barrel, indicating that in fact she was a besula. And for a besula, for a woman who had relations before, ultimately they would pass before her an open barrel. So the Gemara says, Am I? Why are we doing this? Why don't you just go ahead and just pass the barrel of wine? Before a basula, and for an almana, don't do anything at all. To which the Gemara answers, Zinnin de Tafsa Masayim, Va Amra Ana Besula Havoi. Because there are times where what? There are times where ultimately she will claim that she is entitled to Masayim, that she is entitled to 200 Zuz, and she will say, What happened? She will say that Lemaisa, again, Ama Besula, Vahaidilo Avru Kamai Asnusehu de Isnisu. And the fact that they did not pass a barrel before me, that's just because why? Something happened. Something happened. You know, they, they were out of wine that particular day. Therefore, again, they purposely passed an open barrel before a ba'ula and a closed barrel before a basula. So we'll say, now we come to, therefore, again, now going back to the Mishnah, that's why the Mishnah says if they used this kos shel basura, that was indicative of the fact that Lamaisa, she was a basula. So remember, the Mishnah essentially says that in these situations where there's a machlokis about what her status was at the time of the wedding, if you're able to prove that some of these, what will call celebratory aspects of a basula wedding were present, then that indicates, albeit it's circumstantial evidence, but albeit that, that proves the fact that she was in fact a basula. So, so now the Gemara comes to a beautiful, beautiful idea. Ten Rabbanon. Ketad meraktin lifne hakala. The Rebbe say that literally it translates is how do we dance before the kala? Now the Gemara is not ask, asking a dance move question, but Rabbi, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says ketad meraktin ma omrim lefanel. What is it? What is it appropriate? What is appropriate to say to a kala at the wedding? So say top of kala kamoshihi. So says that you should praise a kala. 
the way she is. What does that mean? Rashi says, Lefi yofyeha v'chashivusa mekalsenosa. Beishamai says, you have to be, essentially, you have to be honest in your praise. Right? That you have to go out and praise her in a way that, that's appropriate, but more importantly, that's honest. Ubeisilo and Beisilo say, no, kala na'a v'chasuda. Every single kala is beautiful. Na'a v'chasuda. Rashi says over here, chut shel chased mashuch aleha. Every single kala has exceptional charm. Doesn't matter if she's pretty, if she's not pretty. Every kala is not a vechasuda. So, so listen to this. So, first of all, look at Tosas for just a moment. So Tosas writes on the top, Kala Kamoshi, Tosas says, Yemyesh Bamum, Yishtiku, Velo Yishabhua. So, and, and according to Veshamai, if she's blemished, meaning let's say she's just not pretty, so then don't say anything. Don't say anything and don't praise her. Inami, Yishabhua, Bidavar Na'a, Sheishba, or compliment her for what's nice about her kigon be'ineha o be'adeha imheim yafos. So Beishamai says, if she's not pretty, tell her, wow, you know, you have beautiful hands. Now, now <laughs> by the way, don't try that one at home. Right? But the idea, right? So that Beishamai says, is find something that is beautiful about her and compliment that. Listen to us. Ubeisil, Beisil, say, no, no, no. Yeshabchuha legamre, you have to go ahead and use absolute praise, no evechasuda. Dechishamaskirin mashiyisha leshvach michlal deshar lignai. Because Beisil will say, if you tell her that she has nice hands, you know what every single woman hears when you hear, when you tell her that she has nice hands, right? What she's hearing is, well, what about the rest, right? So the idea is if you just highlight and you compliment one part of her, ultimately all that's going to do is to accentuate the fact that the rest that she Perhaps she's not so pretty. So therefore, Basila says the only way to compliment the kala is not a vechasuda. Every single kala is beautiful. Every single kala has chesed. So fundamental machlokes between Beishamai and Basila. So the Gemara says, Amr lahen Beishamai and Basila. So Beishamai said to Basila, Harei shahaisa chigeres usuma omrim la kala na vechasuda. So Beishamai says, Basila, let me ask you, if the kala was lame, if the kala was crippled, or if the kala was blind, are you going to tell her no vechasuda? Meaning what Beishamai is saying to Basila is, I don't understand. Let's say there's a situation, an objective situation where she's not Nava Chasuda. So are you going to say those words even though it's Pashat untrue? Yet the Torah tells us what? Don't lie. Distance yourself from any kind of falsehood. So listen to this. So let's use your logic. Let's say someone makes a purchase, and it turns out that he didn't make a good purchase. So what should you do? Should you praise the purchase in his eyes, or should you go ahead and tell him or highlight the fact that it's an imperfect purchase? Havi Omer, Beisilo says, I say, I say the truth is like this. So both say, you know, if you see a person, a person has made a decision, and he's locked into that decision, there's absolutely nothing to be gained by making him feel bad about that decision. Instead, what should you do? Go ahead and find something redeeming about the decision that he made and compliment him. Make him feel good. So therefore, Basil says to Beishamai, look, if he's, if he's married to this woman, he's married to this woman, you might as well make him feel good about the fact that he married her and not highlight the fact that perhaps she's not the prettiest woman. Therefore, again, Basilo sticks to his gun and says, every single kala is not a vechasuda. Every single kala is beautiful and has chen and has incredible chesed about her. So the Gemara will say, now based on this approach of Basilo and Chachamim, I will say this is a very profound yisod in life. The olam tehei da'ato shal adam mu'ureves imabrios. I will say, a person should always try to make sure that literally his da'as, right, the way he acts, is kind and pleasant with others. I will say a very important you sowed that it's important to be able to get along 
with people. If you are an abrasive or sarcastic or cynical personality and you can't get along with people, that's not the way to live life. The fact, what the Gemara is saying over here is the idea, what's behind Beis Hillel's logic? Why does Beis Hillel say, to every single Kala? So first of all, we'll see, there's another idea that's going to come out from the Gemara in just a little bit, namely, that for every single Chassan, he finds the Chene in his Kala, right? Just because I don't think she's pretty, who cares? I don't need to think she's pretty, she's not my wife. But the guy who's marrying her clearly finds something redeeming in her, and therefore I'm saying, for you, she's a Furthermore, again, if somebody's made a decision, the best thing you could do is bolster their decision, aside from when people make bad decisions in life. But assuming a person is making the good decision for them, the idea is be the kind of person that gets along with other people. If you're always abrasive, if you're always friction, if you're always contrarian, it's just not the way to live. So Ravdimi came along, he said, when in Eretz Yisrael, they used to go ahead and sing the following in front of the Kalan Eretz Yisrael. Listen to this, how beautiful this is. You Kala, you don't need Kachol, Kachol is eyeshadow, Srak is blush, and Pirkos is braiding of the hair. So you Kala, you're so beautiful that you do not require makeup, you do not require fancy hairstyles, and yet you still go ahead and you emote. You emote such incredible charm and such incredible chain. So the, the Yimara just pauses here for just a moment, leaves the wedding. The Yimara says, Listen to how beautiful this is. When the Rabbanon conferred smicha upon Rabbi Zeira, they sang to him the following, So they said, and they were saying this about Rabbi Zeira, Rabbi Zeira, you're so beautiful, i.e. in your spirituality, that you don't need any of the other external accoutrements, you don't need, I mean literally it means the eyeshadow, the blush, and the braiding of the hair. If you look at Rashi for just a moment, actually I'm sorry, Rashi doesn't doesn't comment on this. So the idea is that when they were giving him smicha, they were saying, you're such a tamad chacham, you're so wonderful, that you don't need fancy clothing, you don't even need fancy titles, and you emote such an incredible chain. When the rabbis conferred smicha upon Rabbi Amin, Rabbi Asi, Charlie Hachi, they sang the following: Kol min dein v'chol min din samuchu samuchu lano. So anyone who is like this one and anyone who is like this one should be given smicha. However. Excuse me, let me read that again. Kol min din v'chol min din sumuchu lano. So lo tismuchu lano lo min sarmisin v'lo min sarmitin. But we should not give smicha to the sarmisin and not to the sarmitin. So Rabbi Shai, look at Rashi just a moment. Sarmisin, misarsin halacha behevech tamein. People who go ahead and twist around halacha to suit their own needs. So I will say, you know, as we all know, it is very easy. You know, if you want to find the shita for something, you can always find the shita for something. You can always find an opinion that backs up even the most cra- the craziest things. So there are people who manipulate halacha for the sake of their own. They, they know what they want to do or they know what, what agenda item they have. And so they're going to manipulate halacha to suit their own needs. So, they say, so when they gave smicha, they were extolling these two individuals as paradigms of who smicha should be conferred upon. And they were saying we shouldn't give smicha to the sarmisin, to people who manipulate halacha for their own benefit. Sarmutin. So Rashi says, Sarmutin is lashon smartutin. So smartutin are rags. So rags, just like a rag, doesn't fully cover the body. So too, there are people that are not well versed enough in Torah to be able to pass in halacha because they only have like a patchwork of Torah. And 
others say that they said we should not give smicha to the chamisin and not to the tormisin. So look at Rashi. What's chamisin? Rashi says omrin chamishes hatam. So chamisin are people who only give literally one fifth of the reasoning. That when they teach things, when they say things, their statements are not coherent and it's difficult for people to understand. Like someone who only gives one fifth of the Torah they know. Or Tormisin is actually very interesting. So the Marsha comments on this. Rashi says, Lo is parish. Rashi says, Tormisin, I don't know what this means. Now, Marsha says, Tormisin, we know, is a is a, um, a lupine. A lupine. So Tormisin, so this Tormisin, we know that you have to cook it for a very long time in order for it to become edible. So this Tormisin represents, and if you don't, it's bitter. So Tormisin represents people who are bitter, that you shouldn't give smicha to people who are bitter, somebody who has a negative out- life Outlook because such a person will not really be a credit to Klali. So, Rabbi Avau, again, another story. Rabbi Avau, when he would go from the yeshiva to the house of the Caesar. So, apparently, Rabbi, Rabbi Avau was very connected with the government and used to speak with the Caesar about many things. So, when he would go from the yeshiva to the Bekesar, Nafkin Amasa de Bekesar Laape. Dumse, right? They would go ahead. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Nafka, nafka, amsa de bekeser laape. So the women of the Caesar's home, the matrons, the Roman matrons, would come out to greet him. Umisharin lehachi, and they would say, they would sing the following to him: Rava daame, right? Literally, Rebbe of his people, teacher of his people. Umedabrana duumasi, leader of his nation. Bautzina dunuhura, lit a lit candle. Barich Masyech Lishlom, your your coming here should be in peace. Amru Alava Rabbi Huda Bariloi, they used to say about Rabbi Huda Bariloi, Shahaya Notel, but listen to how beautiful this is. Shahaya Notel Bad Shalhadas, Omerakid Lifnehakala. Rabbi Huda Bariloi, Rabbi Huda who was one of the ranking sages, used to take a branch, a myrtle branch, Bad bad Shalhadas, a myrtle branch, and he would dance in front of the Kala. The Omer Kala Noe Vechasuda. And he would say, he would say, he would say to the Kala that she is Noavechasuda, that she is beautiful and has incredible chesed. We're both saying in this context, chesed really means, as we said before, more like charm or ching. She has incredible chesed. Just so you should know, by the way, we passed him in that previous previous machlokas, like Basilo. And therefore, again, the haloch is we tell the Kala, no matter who or what she is, we tell her Kala Noavechasuda. We tell every single Kala that she is beautiful and ultimately, again, has incredible ching, incredible charm to her. So Rabbi Huda Barilo, used to dance in front of the Kala with the branch of Hadassim. And what happened? Rav Shmobar Yitzchak, listen to this, Rav Shmobar Yitzchak, Merakir Atlas, Rav Shmobar Yitzchak was not satisfied with, with dancing with one branch, but rather he would dance with three. Now if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Atlas, Shalosh Badin, he would have three branches, Zorik Achas, Umekabal Achas. In other words, what did he do? He juggled. He used to juggle three myrtle branches while dancing in front of the Kala. Amra Bizera Kamachsif Lan Saba. So we'll say, listen to this. So Rabbi Zehra said, the old man is the old man is is um is embarrassing us. And this is referring to Rabbi Huda Bariloi. So Rabbi Zehra, Rabbi Zehra, when he would see Rabbi Huda Bariloi going ahead and dancing in front of the Kala with a myrtle branch, so Rabbi Zehra would say, it's ridiculous, you shouldn't be doing this. Right? He said, Tam Tchacham, look at Rashi. Rashi says over here, He is denigrating the covet of Torah scholars. And he's treating himself too lightly. So therefore, again, Rabbi Zehra was giving him, where Rabbi Zehra said, it's not appropriate that Rabbi Huda Bar-Lai is is dancing in front of the Kala with myrtle branch. You shouldn't be doing this. Listen to this. When Rabbi Huda Bar-Lai died, 
ifsik amuda denura bein didei lekule alma. A pillar of fire came down from the heavens and literally blocked, created a barrier between the bed on which Rabbi Huda Bar-Ilai was resting and everyone else. The idea of this fire indicated that the person who had died was so kadosh that no one else was permitted to approach the, funer- the funeral bier. Ugemiri, and we have a tradition, we have a tradition that this idea that the fi- pillar of fire only comes down for one or two people in every single generation, i.e. that that pillar of fire indicates that this person who passed away was one of the leaders of the entire generation. So why did Rabbi Huda why, why did Rabbi Huda merit this particular fire to descend from heaven to, uh, uh, after his death? So Rabbi Zera, bless you. So Rabbi Zera said that literally the shetuse helped the Saba. Now what does shetuse mean? Rashi says. Rashi says, shutuse shut shalhado shemiraki. Bless you. We'll say this is shutuse means the branch. The branch, it was the branch of the Hadas that he used to dance with. That was the merit that he had that made him singular in his generation. The fact that he was willing to go ahead and put his own covet on the side to make the chasen and kava happy. So that was the merit that he had. Va'armile, others say, no, shetuse l'sava. Others say it was the shtus, right? The shtik, that again, same idea, same idea. It was the shtik that he did at the weddings, the fact that he danced in front of the kala with the myrtle branches, that that's ultimately, again, that gave him the incredible zechus. Va'amrile, others say, shitase l'saba. We'll say, now what does it mean, shitase l'saba? Shitasa u'minhago. The shitos and minhagim that he had throughout life, those are what distinguished him from amongst his other rabbinic colleagues and made him the singular great person in his generation. Ravacha, listen to this, we'll say, this is actually pretty wild. Ravacha, markiv le'akasve, Rav Acha used to put the kala on his shoulders and dance with her. Amri Rabbanan. So Amri Rabbanan, the rabbi said to her, I don't think, Anan, mahulimi avanachi. So literally it means, they asked, could we do this also? What they're really asking is, really? Right, really? Like, like this is actually okay, what it is that you're doing? So listen to this. Amr Lahu, he said to them, Literally, if she is like a beam to you, then fine. And if not, no. In other words, what Ravacha was saying was the following. If, when I do this, I don't have any impure thoughts. Right? I'm able to do this ultimately, again, without having any impure thoughts about the kala. So if you're on the level that you don't have any impure thoughts, then you could do the same. But if Lamaisa, again, you will have impure thoughts, which, of course, Everyone, perhaps besides Rav Acha, would ultimately then Lamaisa, you are not permitted to do this. Amrit will say it is fascinating just to see practices that if somebody were to say it today, you'd say that's absolute apicursus, absolute apicursus. And yet again, it's just interesting to see how how again norms norms develop. Now you can understand, of course, why this one did not exactly trickle down throughout the generations, right? It's kind of understandable. No, 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 communities do this. What, what happened now, again, all right, so just because Brad Fischl brought this up, so as brother Nadarchi Tshuva brings down, he says that based on this, the custom also developed to dance with the kala. And what they used to do is what they call today a mitzvah tans. That ultimately, again, one party would hold on to a cloth or whatever it is, and someone else. Now, in most communities, that Chichuva brings down, they stopped doing the mitzvah tans as well because they felt it was a lack of tznius. 
except in the Hasidic communities where the mitzvah tans. But if you've ever seen a mitzvah tans occur in a Hasidic community, they have like a gartel the size of a football field, right? And so one's got here, so mamish, like, like there's absolutely uh, no. So, but again, but yes, you're correct. The mitzvah tans does have, does have its derivations over here in this particular Gemara as well. So the Gemara is, what's like, I'm Rabbi Shua, I know everybody gets excited. Collars on the shoulders, everything goes nuts. All right, so the Gemara says the following. So, Amar Reb Shmuel Bar Nachmani, Amar Reb Yochanan, Mutal is stakel b'fnei kala, b'fnei kala, kol shiva. It is permitted to go ahead and look directly at the kala all seven days, all of the sheva brachas. The chavava abaylan. Reb Yosef, it's very important halacha. The halacha is that one is not supposed to look at any woman for the sake of deriving pleasure, or meaning I'm not permitted to look at, obviously I'm permitted to make eye contact with a person, I'm talking to them, but I'm not permitted to dafka gaze at a woman in order to benefit from her beauty, because I think she's, I don't want to look at her, all the more so, one is not permitted to do that with a married woman. So the Gemara says, whatever Rabbi Yonah's son says, that when it comes to a kala during Shavarachas, I am permitted to dafka look at the kala of Shavarachas, why? Because when the husband sees that everyone is looking at his wife because she's so beautiful, what does that do? that endears her to him even more. The less Hilchas HaKavase, but the Gemara says, we do not paskin like this, and even during Sheva Brachas, again, we do not gaze at the Kala for the sake of gazing at her beauty. Tan Rabbanam, so what's the Rabbi's taught? Ma'avirin esames mufnea Kala. So it's an interesting halacha. If you look at Rashi, Ma'avirin, Kishakala yotza mi beis aviyala beis chasunosa, vinose meis yotzim ubezu ubezu Let's say you have a, a, a wedding procession and the funeral procession that are going to go ahead and utilize the same road. So the halacha is we allow the wedding procession to go before the funeral procession. But if there's a wedding procession, a funeral procession, and a monarchical procession, and everybody needs to utilize the same road, both the wedding and funeral processions are go. I have to wait and let the king go first. The Gemara says, Amr of Al-Agrippas HaMelech. So we learned, so they said about Agrippas the king, Sha'avar Melifnei Kala. That one time Agrippas was traveling and he saw there was a wedding procession and he allowed the wedding procession to go first. And the rabbis extolled The rabbis praised him for allowing the wedding party to go first. So they praised him. That would indicate that they, that they think that, what, that they thought that what he did was correct. But one second, Agrippas wasn't even allowed to do this. So it's very important to sow it. Because even according to the Mandam who says that a Nasi, now remember, the Nasi was the name of the leader of the Jewish people, after already the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, when we were no longer a fully autonomous nation. So the Nasi was like the head, but the Nasi wasn't a king. So even according to the Mandam who says that a Nasi is permitted to forgive his covet, a king is not permitted to forgive his covet. So when the king walks in the room, I have to stand up, and if the king says, no, 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 it's okay, you don't have to stand up, it doesn't matter. I still have to stand up. If that's the case, the Amar Mar, because we learn, Som Tasim Alecha Melech, so the Pasuk says, you have to place upon you a king, that the fear and the reverence of the king has to be on you. Well, you know, I've often thought to myself that one of the interesting things I think that's going to happen to, when Mashiach comes is, you know, Malchus based David is going to be restored. 
it'll be interesting to see how we react to a king. Because if there's one thing that we really don't have in our generation, and the generation as a whole, is, is respect for authority. We're very, we're, we're very contrarian group. We don't really like to respect authority all that much, especially absolute authority. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when a Mashiach comes and suddenly we're going to have a Melech. And this man is Mamish going to have like power of life and death over us. How are we going to have to submit? It's just, just interesting to think about. In any event, the Gemara says, so how was Agrippas permitted to go ahead and allow the wedding procession to go in front of him? After all, a king is not permitted to be mochal on his covet. To which the Gemara says, Parshas Durachim Havi. It was a crossroads. It was a crossroads. And I will say, if you look at Rashi in just a moment, so Rashi is Parshas Durachim Hava. Velo Nikar Shavam Elfaneha. Ela Kilu Hutzarach Lifnos La Osad Derech. So I will say, so again, it, meaning because it was a crossroads. And the king made it look like he was going in a different direction. Therefore, because he made it look like he was going in a different direction, it didn't look like he was being mochal on his covet. Okay. So the Gemara goes back. Turn around, So we'll say we learned. Mevatlin Talmud Torah So I will say this is actually very interesting. So the halacha is that we're mevatl Talmud Torah to take care of the burial needs of an individual. Right, so meaning, if somebody needs to be buried, we stop all learning in order to take care of the dead. And same thing to go ahead and take care of a kala on her wedding day, or on her wedding day. So they used to say about Rabbi that he would stop his learning in order to escort the dead, as well as to escort the kala. So when is this true? So we'll say, when do you have to stop your learning? Or for That's when there aren't sufficient people to be able to take care of the burial needs or the Achnasas Kala needs. However, Aval, Yesh Imo, called Sarcho, in Mavatlin, but if there are enough people to take care of the burial, or there are enough people to ultimately go out and take care of the Achnasas Kala, then you are not Mavatl Tamatar. Now, I will say, now the Gemara says something very interesting, which we'll come back to a little bit more tomorrow. Vikama Kotsarcho. Now, what does that mean that a person, let's say, at his Levaya, has all the, that the, all the burial needs are attended to? So the Gemara says, Vikama um, Kotsarcho. It means 12,000 people. And 6,000 people to blow chauffeurs. That's called Tzarcho. Right? So let's say, say the idea over here, by the way, they used to blow chauffeurs. They used to blow chauffeurs. Rashi says, They used to blow chauffeurs at weddings as almost like a sign that there was a Levaya taking place, that people should come to give cover to the mace. So the Gemara says, um, I'm sorry. But others say, others say, no, 13,000 people. And among those 13,000, you should have 6,000 that go out and blow the chauffeur. So Ula Amar Ula said, Enough people to stretch from the gate of the city all the way to the cemetery. That the giving of the Torah, or I should say, the taking of the Torah, is like the giving of the Torah. Now, death is referred to as the taking of the Torah. It's actually a very dramatic statement that it's called the taking of the Torah. Why? Because, again, each person, each person, each neshama is a Torah unto itself. So just like Hashem who gave us the Torah, death is when he takes his Torah back, so to speak. Just like the giving of the Torah was 600,000 people. So to, again, the taking of the Torah, death, is also called means 600,000 people. And these 
Ladies, and this is talking about what? Leman Dikari Vitani. This is talking about one who learned Chumash and learned Mishnah. Now, what's it now? The inference of this in Rashi says, Aval Adayim Lo but he didn't teach Talmidim. However, Ahmed Bey's Aval. Leman Dimasni, but to one who taught Torah, one who taught Torah to Achirim, to others, Less lay shiura. Such a person, ultimately, again, there is no sheer, there is no amount, there is no cap for the number of people that would need to go ahead and attend that levaya, and therefore everybody would be obligated to stop their Talmud Torah in order to attend that levaya. Rash is less lay shiura. Rashi just brings down over here something very important. Rashi says, that Lamaisa, that Lamaisa, when it comes to someone who did not teach Torah, really all we need is you have to make sure that there's enough people to go ahead and take care of the burial. That's the idea. That's what Rashi quotes over here. And that indeed is halacha Lamaisa. We don't need uh, 600,000 people. For a person who taught Torah, so in such a situation like that, then Lamaisa, we are obligated to be machabi that person with as many people as possible. If you look at Ra- Tosus for just a moment, Tosus says, Avamad Masni Lesli Shiura, they said that for someone who didn't teach Torah, but someone who learned, so as long as there's enough people to take care of the Levaya, you don't have to be Mavatal Talmud Torah. So actually interesting. Tells the an opinion that Lamaisa, again, wherever there's Levaya in the town, we do close the shops in order to make sure that the burial needs of the individual are met. I will say, obviously, these type of halachos are mentioned in situations where you don't have a dedicated body. So, for example, in a community where you have, let's say, a chevra kadisha, and it's known that the needs of the deceased are going to go ahead and be cared for, so there's not necessarily a din to go ahead and close down all of the businesses. But, of course, someone who taught Torah, a tamat chacham, so there is the obligation to be mevatel, even tamat Torah, in order to go to attend the levai of such an individual. Back to the Mishnah. So remember, the Mishnah was giving examples of circumstantial types of evidence that indicate that what? That the woman was a besula at the time of her wedding. Okay, so for one of the examples was if she went out with a hinuma. So the Gemara says, "What is hinuma? My hinuma, amar asa. Literally, it's a circular, it's a circular myrtle branched chuppah that apparently for besulim, for, for for besulos, excuse me, they used to go and make a special chuppah that was made out of myrtle branches, hadasim, and it was made in a circular. So if there's edos that she had this kind of chuppah, that's indicative that she was in fact a besula." Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, Kerisa dimenamna bakalsa. That what is a hinuma? A hinuma is a veil that literally she's able to doze behind it. Now, what does that mean? Look at Rashi. Kerisa, tsif ash'arosha, literally a, a veil, a veil on her head. Mishurvav alinah, kimosha osabim komenu. Rashi says, like the type of veil, the type of veil that we do in our places. Upamim sheminamenes besocha, mitoch she'in eneha megulin. Olakach nikra hinuma ash'arosha. So the veil is so thick that what happens if the kala dozes a little, no one really is able to see. It's very interesting. So, so Rashi, this was the kind of veil that they were using already in times of the times of the Gemara, and they were using in the times of Rashi as well. Therefore, it's called a hinuma from notion of tenuma, which means to doze. Okay, so machlok is about what hinuma means, but the idea is whether it's the circular myrtle branch chuppah or it's the thick veil. 
the idea is if there's testimony that when she got married she was wearing or using these items, that's proof that she is in fact a basula. Rabbi Yochanan ben Baraka, Omar Rabbi Yochanan ben Baraka said, Rabbi Yochanan ben Baraka was the one who said that also the giving out of the giving out of parched grain is also an indication that what? That she was a basula. So the Gemara says, Tana, so all of the things mentioned in the Mishnah, the Hinuma and the parched grain and all the other things, hair down, all of these things were all done in Yehuda. But in Bava, what was the sign, meaning what was different about a Basula wedding? So Amarav, Dardugi de Mishcha, Arashad Rabbanav. Also, this is very interesting. That in Bavel, in Bavel, what they used to do is they used to rub oil on the heads of the rabbis. That at a Basula's wedding, at a sign of celebration, they would rub oil on the heads of the rabbis. So, I'm supposed to first look at Rashi. Rashi says, Dardugi Mishcha, Hanoshim Nosnim Shemabrosh Hatamidu Vishavos. The women would place head, would place, would place oil on the head of the rabbis and rub the oil in their heads. Okay. So, I'm going to say, Okay, like, let's just finish. Mishcha, Dechafi, Fusa, Kamer. See, on days like this, you could even brew decaf. You could partially brew decaf. So, the says, I'm going to did the rabbis need a shampoo? I Meaning, what are you talking about? First of all, so that's how people would shampoo. So Talmudic shampoo was oil. The truth is, oil was used for everything. It's mamish. It's good to know. Cooking, shampooing, cleaning. So what happens? So the, the rabbis need a shampoo that at the at the at the weddings of the basula on Bavel, so they're rubbing the rubbing the oil in their heads. So listen to this. So the Gemara says, I'm sorry. So we'll say, so Rapapa said, excuse me, so Abai said back to Rapapa, Yasma. You orphan. Now this was an insult. Um, orphan means just as an orphan doesn't have parents, you don't have reason. You orphan. Did your own mother not rub oil in the hands of the rabbis at your own wedding? Meaning you're saying you, you sing like you never saw this before. This mamish happened at your wedding. Because there was, for example, a story of, of one of the Tamidi Chachamim who arranged, who arranged a shidduch for his son with one of the daughters or one of the women of the home of Rabbi Bar-Ula. Others say, or others say, no, the story was that Rabbi Bar-Ula arranged a shidduch for his son with one of the women from this Tamid Chachamim's family. And what happened? And they would rub oil in the heads of the rabbis. And they rubbed oil in the heads of the rabbis at the wedding. So the Gemara says... <coughs> So the Gemara says, look at Rashi for just a moment over here. Rashi says, Rashi says, uh, fine, fine. So what about Namana? So we'll say, so that's all true at the wedding of a basula. So now we know what we have is in Bavel, at a wedding of a basula, they used to rub oil in the heads of Tamidi Chachamim. What about at the wedding of an Amana? Tani Rav Yosef, Armalta Lesnekisni. So to which the Gemara says that at the wedding of an Amana, they would not hand out the Kisni. They would not hand out this parched grain. Rashi says, Ein la kloyos. They would not hand out parched grains. And Rashi says, And this was the simon. Ultimately, again, that it was the wedding of an Amana. So we'll say, what comes out from this sugi is that it's clear that different places had specific customs associated with the wedding of a basula. So once you had that, then Lemaisa, again, that indicated that halach Lemaisa was the wedding of a basula. Therefore, in the event that there's a mach 
machlokes between husband and wife, she, she was a basula or a baula, if we're able to show that these type of events, these type of practices occurred at the wedding, that's enough circumstantial proof that she was a basula, and that's enough to entitle her to a ksuba of 200 zuz. Umod radi Yoshua say a little bit weiter. So remember, then the end of the Mishnah already goes on to a totally separate topic, which we dealt with yesterday. Rabbi Yoshua agrees that what? That when a person says to his friend, oh, by the way, this field, you know this field that I have? I bought it from your father, that he is believed. Remember, we spoke about this yesterday extensively, that even Rabbi Yoshua, who rejects Migo in the previous parak, agrees that there's Migo over here. Why? Because Apesha Asar, hu Apesha Hitir. So the Gemara says, Velisnei, Mod Rabbi Yoshua, why, so the Gemara says, I don't understand, why don't you reframe the case like this? Why do you have to deal with the case of where the field belonged to his father? Why don't you just say that Rabbi Yoshua agrees in the following case? This field used to belong to you, and I bought it from you. And therefore, again, a person should believe, be believed when he makes that statement. To which the Gemara says, I'll tell you why. Meaning what the Gemara is asking is, why frame this as a case of where I bought the fields from Ruvain's father? Why don't you just say it's a case of where I bought the fields from Ruvain? Because we want to say at the end of the Mishnah, if there are Edim, that it really belonged to the original owner. And ultimately, again, I say that I bought it from him. He is not believed. So the Gemara says, So what is the case? If I, now again, remember, I'm claiming that I am now the owner. I purchased it from Ruben or from Ruben's father. So what's the case? If I've been living there three years, meaning I've already, I've lived there the years of proper Chazaka, then Amailo Mehemen, then why would I not be believed? And if I did not eat it for the years, ultimately again of Chazak, I haven't lived there for three years, then Pshitid Lo Mehemen. So what's I mean, what, what are we talking about up here? What is, what is, the, what is the idea of Peshat here? This should be a very simple case. If I've lived there the requisite years of Chazaka, then I have a claim. If I haven't lived there the years of Chazaka, I don't have a claim. So I don't say, and that's true also then, even in the case where I must say, so now that's true even in the case of where I claim that I purchased this field from Ruvain's father. So why am I just simply believed because I made this claim? Again, very simply, if I lived on the field the proper years of Chazaka, then I should own the field. And if I haven't lived in the field for the years of Chazaka, then what? Then what? Then I don't own. What does this have to do with Apesh Asar who Apesh Hitir? To which the Gemara says, to which the Gemara says, I'll tell you why. In the case of where I'm claiming that I bought this field from Ruvain's father, so we'll say this could be like the case of the following where, where I, 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 I own the field or I lived in the field for two years when the father was alive. Then the father died. Who, inha- who, who technically then quote-unquote, inherits the field, the son. Now, the son was a minor at the time that his father died, and I lived there for a year while the son was, while the, I lived there for a year under the son, Ukid Rafuna. And the mission is reflecting the position of Rafuna. What is Rafuna? You cannot establish chazaka while residing on the property of a katan. Even if what? Even if the katan grew up. Now, I'll say this is a very important episode. Rafuna holds like this, that if you have a situation where, let's say again, I'm living on property for two years, father dies, and then minor child inherits the, minor child inherits the, 
property. So let's say I live it on, on another year, three years of chazaka. That third year does not count as chazaka. Why? Because the potential owner is a minor, and a minor doesn't know to object. Rafuna takes a step further. Even if now, let's say the next year, the minor inheritor becomes a gadol, I live on the field for another five years. Rafuna says, that's still not called chazaka. Why? Because since the child, the minor, the inheritor, saw me living there as a katan, he assumed that what? He assumed that it was mine. Therefore, even when he becomes a gadol, he still assumes that it's mine. I mean, he never knows any different because his initial impressions are forged when he's a katan. Therefore, even if you live on that field another five years and he becomes a gadol, Rav Huna says that is still not considered to be a chazaka. To which the Gemara says, Rav Huna, mas nisen ala is Rav Huna coming to teach us? Then a Mishnah. Yeah, Rav Huna is making a diak in the Mishnah that the case, the particular case of our Mishnah is a case of where the father died and it was a minor child who inherits the father and therefore the Mishnah is teaching us that Lamaisa, living on the field for a particular amount of time does not give you chazaka. And again, the other possibility is that the Mishnah is teaching me about a case that even when the minor inheritor comes along and inherits the father, even if the child subsequently becomes a gadol, and I am still living on that field, that is still not enough to establish chazaka, because since my original residence on the field was when the new inheritor was a minor, therefore again, his impressions about the field are forged when he's a minor, and there's no way to assume that those impressions are going to change even once he becomes a gadol, and therefore, I have not established chazaka. So the Gemara says, and I would have thought that again he establishes Chazaka even once he becomes a Gadol. Kamash Malon the Nat. So I have to stop over here for today. We're, we're kind of leaving off in the middle of this sugya, but just again. So remember where we're, we're leaving off over here. We're just trying to figure out now again about this last case in the Mishnah, and we're trying to figure out what exactly are the details, what exactly are the circumstances, and the Chiddush of this last property case. So Merit Hashem to be continued tomorrow. Just a reminder: tomorrow we also begin again at. 5.30. Oh, five, all right. Okay. <laughs> try, 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 try to slip that in. Yeah, 5.45 in your session. Sorry. Sorry. Okay.